Welcome to the Critical Witness podcast, where we talk faith, apologetics, evangelism, and anything else we can think of. We hope you enjoy the show. Good evening. Welcome to Critical Witness. Uh, my name is Phil hosting this evening and uh, we've got a topic uh, around evolution and design whether or not evolution disproves christianity that's what we're going to get stuck straight into uh, in a moment we've got about an hour and a half and uh, we're just going to introduce our guests straight away so welcome zachary i didn't actually ask do you go by zachary or zach or is it my uh, I, I take either yeah you take it cool. Uh, and Dan is obviously here as well with a very. We just have to go on that that background. That he's moved into his new house. It's beautiful, it, isn't it, it? If you're on the podcast, it's lovely geometric wallpaper in the background. Uh, well. A wood, a wood carving of the Great Fire of London from 1666 as well. Not the Perfect. real thing. It's a. It's a. It's not actually on fire. <laughs> cool anyway uh zachary tell us a little bit about yourself um what do you do and uh how you became a christian Let's start with that yes I'm, I'm a biologist i'm currently based in germany i um uh, was from new zealand before that and i was raised in a christian family and uh like a lot of people started taking it seriously uh to a greater extent in high school and then i realized at some point, I guess I realized that most of my friends were atheists and um, started thinking about how does Christianity relate to that. Um, some of the, the books I started reading first were actually on biblical archaeology because I kind of thought, well, uh, is this stuff really real? Can we trust it? So I, I started digging into biblical archaeology a bit. And then the next thing I, I dug into was science and realized that that was really important for atheists. And atheists were saying that was the, the basis of their belief. And uh, I guess after that, I, I studied science and studied philosophy and uh, have been thinking about those questions for the last uh, 15 years. Cool. So both science and philosophy. Mm -hmm. So is that a philosophy degree or just for fun? Uh, uh, both, yes. Yeah. So I, I, I did the philosophy degree for fun, I guess. I realized that I, I wasn't <laughs> going to get a job out of it. So I, I fortunately stuck with the science for the job. And I think that um, that was a good decision. Sounds very sensible. <laughs> um, I, I guess a good place to start would be what what exactly. So you and would you describe yourself as an evolutionary biologist? or? Yeah. yeah. Maybe just because I, I like that title, but I, I do research evolution. Uh, right. so I, I so, study how bacteria mostly. Got you. So what, what I guess for, for people listening, what exactly is, if could you just sort of give a summary of what exactly evolutionary biology is? Yeah, it's really diverse. So when someone says they're an evolutionary biologist, it could mean uh, lots of different things, actually. Um, in my case, it means that I look at uh, the DNA sequences of bacteria and sometimes virus. I mean, the last year uh, I was looking at SARS-CoV-2 uh, viruses, but and in my PhD, I was looking at yeast. So a single-celled um, eukaryote. But for the last few years, I've mostly been looking at bacteria. I'm looking at differences between different species of bacteria, uh, the processes of evolution, 
and uh, how things change over time in, in, in bacteria. But other evolutionary biologists might be looking at fossils, they might be looking at ecosystems, they might be looking at animals or birds or uh, behaviors or human culture or the evolution of religion. So evolution is a huge, huge field, but I'm interested in the molecular details, what, what's happening at the DNA level, uh, particularly in bacteria, because they're uh, easy to study in, in depth. You can really, um, yeah, you can get a lot of detail in bacterial evolution. So when you were starting out, was there any, so you, you grew up in a Christian family and then got into science. Was there any yeah. sort of conflict early on that you had to sort of pass out or? Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I was kind of, um, was kind of a young earth creationist uh, as, as a teenager, I'd kind of absorbed that. And then I kind of, um, I guess, uh, shifted into old earth creationism of some kind. Uh, but at university, I was then hit with uh, really atheistic uh, biology professors uh, who were really, I would say they were basically preaching atheism in, in their biology lectures, uh, which was an abuse of power. Like they, they had a lot of power uh, there because some of these were like um, senior professors that were highly respected. Um, a lot of the people in the class, they wanted to get into medical school. So their grades really mattered. So they were really, uh, they paid a lot of attention to what the professor said. And I, I think uh, professors have a lot of power like that. And yeah, so they were preaching atheism and really bashing young earth creationism. They actually made me more creationist because they were doing, they weren't fairly presenting creationism. They were strawmanning it. Yeah. Um, so for a brief time, I really kind of dug into it and maybe kind of fell back into young earth creationism, but I slowly, um, worked out what, what I think is kind of a, a middle uh, road um, that allows for design whilst also allowing for evolutionary processes. Okay. That sounds, that sounds intriguing. Um, yeah. So I, I guess going from that, um, just working on my question. So with the evolutionary processes, I guess my instinctual question yeah. is <laughs> maybe it's starting straight in. Is there like a, evidence for jumping from species to species that's like my main question about evolution so do, do you have like uh evidence of that in in the sense that when we talk about evolution that's probably like uh well okay i'm going to show my ignorance is there even a thing like macro micro is that terminology used in in your role in your job uh it, yeah it depends on the biologist so that's kind of a quiet ongoing debate with a uh, whether it even makes sense to talk about macro and micro as something distinct or whether macro is just micro over a long period of time. Um, okay. So that, that's kind of an open question, whether there might be different processes that you need to appeal to to explain the larger things. So differences in body plans between organisms, for instance. Um, there'll be differences at the level of development in animals. Um, so some people might think that there's, um, maybe that's a different kind of evolution than what we tend to see at, within species. Uh, but that's 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 kind of a, a debate that that's, that's not clear. Um, I guess I I would tend to say uh, unless it's really shown definitively, then I, I'm happy to think that micro is uh, enough if you uh, if it's accrued over time. Um, are there, is there evidence? It will depend what you mean by evidence. And mm. I, I think um, a lot of people who approach this have a really narrow concept of evidence. Like unless you can see it happening before your eyes, then it it, it there's no evidence. Mm. Um, but I, I think this 
basically the similar kinds of evidence as we use in forensics, we can also use, it's, it's actually a similar inference that we make uh, when we're inferring evolution, because in both cases, we're talking about past processes. Um, so if people want to draw a sharp cutoff between, uh, like a lot of people do this, they say there's a big difference between like present day science and historical science. Uh, but I, I really don't think there is. And something like forensics shows it, that pretty much everyone accepts forensics as a legitimate kind of science and it makes legitimate inferences or archeology span also, but those are both historical and evolution is another uh, historical science. Um, yeah, I mean, there's heaps of things to say. You, you do see some evidence. I mean, you, so my PhD was laboratory evolution. Uh, so evolving microorganisms in the lab and you see over a few hundred generations, you do see evolution happen. You see changes in at the DNA level, you see gene copy number changes and, and other things. Um, but for the interspecies uh, differences, I mean, there's a couple of examples that are presented, um, but most of those, they're gonna be inferences uh, based on uh, the kinds of similarities we see between organisms. And actually increasingly creationists, including young earth creationists, they do actually accept interspecies difference. It's at a higher level that they say, uh, so there's different biological categories, like species, genus, uh, family, order, class, and it's one of these higher taxonomic levels. The creationists say, no, evolution doesn't go beyond that point. But pretty much everyone nowadays says that, yes, yeah, species can can change. Um, yeah, so uh, the average yeah. person who's a creationist wouldn't realize that. They would think that, you know, you can't get different species. But actually, all creationist biologists will say, yes, getting species is not the problem. It's the higher levels. Um, okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Dan, you got a question? Um, so I guess, I mean, what, what sort of evidence? I mean, Christians, mm -hmm. for a lot of Christians, um, just the, the whole notion of, of evolution gets their back up. Yeah. Like, there's something about it that, 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 evolu that, that their understanding of is that ev evolution is, is, um, is answering questions that, that they believe could be or, or answered by God. Um, yeah. And so by, by, um, by suggesting by 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 that the, the, they're sort of competing categories so it, it almost yeah. seems like an oxymoron to say to have a christian who's who believes in the evolutionary process o, o, over yeah. time um so what is it what I, I guess what sort of evidence you have for for evolution over time um so i think like you said most people even like young earth creationists they'll like, like phil was saying they'll distinguish between micro evolution yeah. and macro evolution and agree that yeah yeah you, there, there is there's clearly evidence that of of evolution on on a, on a micro level but not on a on a level that can kind of get you from um you know from single um celled organisms to you know the 37 and a half trillion cells that that, that constitute a human a human body um yeah. So what what sort of what's the sort of best evidence for um, for, for 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 that? Do you think is there anything that you can point to that would would plausibly um, you know persuade someone that is that's skeptical of that process? Just, um, just I mean, before you answer that question, sorry. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, again, this terminology. I'm just checking. Is that what this means? Primary speciation has never been shown to occur. Is that what we're talking about with um, going from single cell to humans is that primary species uh, I, I think they're saying that you, you can so i think he's saying that you can't get um evolution between species 
And if, if you okay. just Google for examples of speciation, there are some that are at least claimed in the literature. So I, I would just yeah. disagree with that. Um, okay. uh, sorry, the question Dan was yeah, asking. Sorry. <laughs> what, what evidence of, of um, single cell to complex? Yeah, so, so uh, I, I think it's kind of interesting. There's, there's kind of an analogy between um, skeptics and how they approach the God question. Um, like, because skeptics will say, skeptics can kind of act in, in a similar way to um, skeptics of evolution. So skeptics can say, you know, what's your best evidence? Show me the evidence. And then they kind of want like one knockout piece of evidence. And then mm -hmm. they think, oh, that's not good enough. Um, therefore, there's, there's no reason to believe in God, for instance, the, the skeptic of God. And the skeptic of evolution can do the same thing. And I, I think the dialectic is, is often the same. And I think the answer is, is actually the same as well, that it's actually a cumulative case. Uh, and this is how Darwin approached it. Uh, he had a really nice uh, term that he got from the philosopher William Hewell, who was an apologist, actually, a Christian philosopher, theologian. And William Hewell talked about consilience. And that's the idea of different lines of evidence that kind of fit together. And, and, and the, the fact they fit together kind of gives extra strong reason to believe the conclusion. So Darwin appealed to uh, the fossil record and he appealed to biogeography so the distribution of animals across space and, and time. Um, and, and he appealed to differences within species and, and things. And we can appeal to other lines of evidence like genetics, particularly, which I think is, is really strong. So there's multiple lines of evidence that all seem to point in basically the same direction. And when taken together, I think it's very strong. And I, I'd say it's actually the same with the, the case for God, that there's, uh, there's arguments that are quite strong by themselves, but together, uh, turn out to be very strong. So, so I, I guess what, what would be some of those things? Could you give an example of some of those things that once they're sort of packaged together, um, yeah, are, so, so are, I, you understand to be persuasive? Yeah, so I mentioned the, the fossil record and biogeography and genetics. Um, but just, just quickly, I, I think um, an, another issue is that often opponents of evolution conflate in a bunch of other things with evolution. Uh, so, for instance, when they say evolution, they're thinking of the age of the Earth as well. Or, or when they think of the age of the Earth, they label that as evolution. So, if someone says they believe the Earth is old, then the creationists might say, oh, that's an evolutionary viewpoint. And I think it's really helpful to, to separate these things out, that these are quite different issues. Um, so, and if, we, if we first accept that the Earth is old, and that, that can be based on quite uh, separate evidence, nothing to do with biology, uh, from astronomy, from distant starlight, from uh, geology, from uh, the radioisotope uh, dating of, of rocks, for instance. Um, so there, there are different kind of physical science uh, reasons to believe the Earth, the, the universe is old. Once we've got that, uh, then within that we can look at the fossil record and see that as uh, a history of, of, of life over time. Uh, if you're a young Earth creationist, then you'll have a different view of the fossil record. But if you already accept that the Earth is old, then you have to accept that there is some kind of development over time. That in the very bottom fossil layers, there's just bacteria. And then there's the simple animals and, and fish and plants and, and the higher animals, the, the most complex animals like humans and other mammals are only found in the top layers. And this, this basic picture of development is one of the key um, evidences of evolution because there's some kind of development that we need to account for. And that seems surprising on a creationist picture and, and fully what we expect on an evolutionary picture. But that's just the first evidence. And then there's, there's 
uh, more detailed evidences about the kind the, the fossil the kinds of fossils we see the similarities between animals the nested hierarchy and similarities um, so all of that was very strong even at Darwin's time but since then we've added genetics which is a completely kind of separate line which seems to show the same patterns as the the differences between organisms um, that, that Darwin could see yeah so uh, yeah we could talk about each of those things for a long time but Basically, there are these different lines of evidence, and I think when we're taken together, it's cumulatively pretty strong. So, what, what in terms of the genetics would would be would, would you understand to be evidence? I mean, there, are there sort of clues within within yeah within genes that would lead us to believe that um, that human beings are um, you know the 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 result of uh, you know million you know hundreds of millions of billions of years of of, of of an evolutionary process yeah so so starting with human beings is always going to be touchy um so i think it's helpful to look at other animals and just kind of leave mm -hmm. humans off to the side to start with um and just ask for instance do we think that that mice and rats are related like mice and rats are pretty similar uh, at the genetic level they're they're they're, they're also uh, they're very similar uh, I think they're around 90, 90% similar. Or uh, lions and tigers, for instance, they're also pretty similar, but quite a bit of difference as well. They also think around 90% similarity at the DNA level. Um, and so what we see at the genetic uh, level of organisms is there are these nested hierarchies. So we have uh, things that, that cluster together, like lions and tigers are pretty similar, and then we can go outwards and outwards and outwards. Um, and the, the taxonomic system that was invented before Darwin uh, acknowledge that uh, Linnaeus, the L Linnaean uh, taxonomic system, classification system, um, grouped organisms by these nested hierarchies. So it grouped them into species and then into genera and then into families and then into orders and then into classes and then into phyla. So we have this kind of um, nested hierarchy is, is, is what it's called of, of similarities. And the genetics basically backs that up. Um, so, and this is this is the kind of pattern you expect from uh, descent. Um, this is the the pattern we see uh, just within human populations in, in terms of descent. That I'm more similar to my brother, and then less similar to my cousin, and then less similar to a second cousin or whatever. You can go further out, and so this is the kind of pattern that descent leaves. And I think it's hard to, to explain on an alternative view. So, yeah, that's that's the basics of um the genetic evidence and then there's, there's various detailed genetic evidences as well uh which um can also be looked into so i know that you were saying something about a middle ground but i think it's in interesting uh some of the things you're saying about the the age of the earth um and one of my the biggest things that i view as evidence for the edge of the earth is the way that light travels us I remember studying that as physics and physics in the mm -hmm. way that we see light that's millions of years old um so that, that for me was like okay there's there's something about this that um I, I don't see a good answer to within the the young earth literature that I've engaged with but I've also come to a middle road where I'm like if one fights it out and wins over the other I'm I'm okay, faith-wise, Genesis-wise, I'm okay. Um, I, I, can go, <laughs> I can work with it. I don't think that's what Genesis 1 is about. But I'm happy to talk that through. But I think there's some interesting conversations, uh, questions that come through that um, I think would be interesting to 
just bring up uh, in response to to what you're saying and some of these terms are probably physics beyond my understanding but i'm happy to give it a go so this one's uh and feel free to pass <laughs> yeah, I mean, it passed. Like, there's, there's no reason that an evolution biologist should, should try and answer questions on cosmology. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, no, and, have... and young Earth creationists usually, and, and my impression is that they generally accept that cosmology, ast astrophysics, is a problem for them, actually. And there's, yeah. there's plenty of young Earth creationist scientists who will say that, that that is one of the big unsolved problems. So I, I don't think there are good creationist models of these things. Uh, they've been kind of uh, there's some old models, but they were rejected and they keep producing new models occasionally and rejecting those. So that this really, this is one of the big open questions for young universe people, I think. And that's generally acknowledged. Um, so yeah, I, I'm happy to leave that to physicists because yeah. they've, they've got that sorted. That's cool. And, and hopefully at some point we will have physicists on. I, I think that's really helpful actually, because I, I do come across, it, it does feel like Christians often feel like they have to be the expert on every field. And I, I appreciate the the response. Some things we, we just have to say I, I'm, that's not my my field. I'm I'm happy to rely on others. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I could I could take a stab at these things, but uh, I'm a big fan of specialization. Actually, I think Christians should <laughs> do what they're gifted at, and and um, let other people yeah deal with with other things. Yeah, and the, the pushback is that it's a problem for both sides. I'm 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 aware there are some issues. I'm. I'm not sure. Happy to um, have a look at that. Uh, to, there are some more uh, biology type questions. questions. In there. We're trying to Maybe find them. There's one, one about gene network uh, evolve. Is that something you're you're aware of? Uh, yeah, I mean, I also, I'm not an expert it. on that. There's a, there's a nice um, log that I'm aware of. I, I can't remember the guy who wrote it, but he's a leading evolution biologist who wrote on that topic at BioLogos. Uh, which okay. is a theistic evolution site. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm blanking on his name, but um, if you look up that, that question on Biologos, then fairly uh, maybe a year or so ago, there was a, a really nice article from one of the leaders in, in evolutionary theory who is an evangelical Christian who, who, who wrote on, on that specific topic. Um, okay. So I, I think it's overstated the the effect to which um, changes in the gene regulatory network is catastrophic, which is what um, what they're saying here. Um, okay. Yeah, that's um, that's a massive topic. That's a little bit because because I study bacteria, I, I don't study animals, and that's more of an animal development kind of question. Mm, that's fair enough. Um, Dan, do you have another question on the TV channel? Shall I go through some? Well, I was just trying to get chat? to because I imagine we'll get quite a few questions on the chat. So I'd rather for now just go through some of the questions on there that are relevant, and then yeah, that's and, fine. And so th just because they're responding to what you've you've said already, um, mm -hmm. Zachary, we'll just kind of have, have a look at some of these. So uh, one of, one of the things that you mentioned was uh, the fossil record. How how mm -hmm. cleared up on the fossil record are you? Not not super cleared up again, mate. I mean, evolution's yeah. a massive field, but um, it is, it's it's huge. I mean, creation, creation in general origins is a, a massive field. Um, <laughs> so I'm I'll be in, interested though, like in in terms of just a, a sort of casual discussion, because yeah. I've been I've I've done um, some teaching on science and God and why science doesn't disprove mm -hmm. God. And generally, when I do that, I present different views of creation. And mm -hmm. how this is an ongoing debate. There's not really going to be settled this side of new creation, I don't think. Um, but I'm aware of things like the Cambrian explosion, 
Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not aware of what uh, is said here. Fossils are irrelevant, uh, but if so, how does Zachary explain the origin of trilobite eyes and the Cambrian explosion? So I don't see how the Cambrian explosion defeats evolution at all. Um, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, you guys might know, but a Cambrian explosion is a point in time where simple-celled or single-celled less complex organisms suddenly in the timeline became more complex organisms and there was a proliferation of more complex organisms at that point in time. Um, I think evolution can account for that. Now, again, trilobite eyes is about complexity, if if I'm remembering my literature correctly. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, so the Cambrian explosion is the origin of the animal body plan. So most of the major animal phyla, I think, originated in a relatively short space of time, evolutionarily speaking, uh, in the the Cambrian era, um, I th- think around 500 million and something years ago. Um, and so before that, there were multicellular organisms, but they, they, weren't, um, they weren't really animals, I think, in... in in the the modern sense of so various phyla it's debated exactly how many but various phyla of animals arose in a relatively short period of time so people say how, how did that happen and that is an open question for evolutionary biology but it doesn't get rid of the 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 fact that there are still just bacteria at the bottom and then there's more complex organisms and then there's animals so there is still that general progression uh, and there are open questions regarding the mechanisms but that doesn't refute the overall pattern uh, so you can talk about the pattern of evolution and the process of evolution. There's definitely a bunch of open questions on the processes involved, uh, but the pattern is, is I think, very clear, uh, personally. And also, I uh, I find that um, I mean, if, if this objection was taken seriously and um, was the main objection that people had, uh, then they would already be granting a lot of evolution because it's a huge amount of evolution after the Cambrian explosion within phyla. Um, so most creationists actually want to dispute the the difference, the, the common descent of humans and chimpanzees, or rats and mice maybe, or or other, or mice and elephants. They want to debate that. And attacking evolution at the phylum level is just like way upstream. Uh, so to me, it doesn't seem to be, uh, doesn't seem to get them with what they actually want. Uh, but for someone who's not a biologist, they think, oh, okay, evolution has been disproved. Um, actually, it's attacking the tree right at the roots, uh, whereas creationists actually need to attack the tree at, at the higher, the, the the upper levels as well. Um, I know someone in, in the comments mentioned bacteria. Mm-hmm. What is the role of bacteria in evolution? Because I know there's um, there's sort of hypothesis, or so it might be more than that, about um, the role of, of of bacteria and mitochondria and and um, and, that, and that's role in the in the evolutionary. Um, to development. Could you explain a little bit more about that, the role of bacteria in evolution? Yeah, so, so what you're referring to is the origin of the eukaryotic cell. So the, yeah. there's two there's two kinds of cells. Well, I mean, there's more than two, but there's, there's prokaryotes uh, that don't have a nucleus and eukaryotes that do have a nucleus. And um, the idea is that uh, it seems that early in the evolution of eukaryotes, maybe at the origin of eukaryotes, but I don't think that's the standard view. I think it's the standard view that happened a bit later. Early in the evolution of eukaryotes, or maybe around the origin, um, there was a merger between two kinds of cells that led to 
modern eukaryotes and that uh, gave them extra energy resources because they used uh, something that was very much like a modern bacterium uh, as a subcomponent of the eukaryotic cell. Um, so I think that's called the, the phagocytosis, phagocytosis yeah. uh, model that um, there was a, a merger of, of, of two kinds of cells. Uh, and that seems to be well supported because the uh, genetics of the mitochondria has a separate genome and the genetics of that fits in remarkably well with within um, within bacteria. Yeah. Okay. So, so we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have, um, well, we wouldn't have us if there wasn't for, if there hadn't been that, if that hadn't occurred, would that be accurate? Right. And, and before that, there were just bacteria anyway, or, or bacteria and, um, archaea, which are another kind of prokaryote. So yeah, bacteria super important in all kinds of ways. Um, but one of them is, some involvement in the origin of eukaryotes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, a bit of a response to that, uh, directly to your to merger. Uh, we're starting mm -hmm. to talk language language that's beyond me. Uh, if there's a, a merger, uh, how did the standard genetic code evolve to the mitochondrial code? Mm -hmm. And how did a, how did a reduction from millions of nucleotides occur in the bacteria to twenty thousand? In yeah, these are really easy questions to answer, I think, because the, the mitochondrial code is very similar to the standard code. Uh, so it, it only requires relatively minor changes in, in, in um, I'm not sure how many, I think maybe a couple of uh, tRNAs. So in the scheme of things, there's not a massive problem for evolution. There's, there's much trickier questions. And, and losing genes is very easy. That happens a lot. So parasites, that, um, parasitic bacteria, they usually have... Uh, yeah, they tend to have smaller genomes, sometimes much, much smaller genomes than free living bacteria. So if a bacteria is living inside a host cell, it doesn't need as much equipment. It can borrow the equipment of the, or hijack the equipment of the host. Uh, so it can lose a lot of genes and that just happens all the time. Uh, so the idea of gene loss is, yeah, that's, that's not a problem. Um, yeah, so, so those are not uh, big issues for evolution, I think. Minor changes in the genetic code for a, uh, a parasitic or a, a symbiotic uh, situation like the mitochondria that's I think that's straightforward as well yeah but, I mean there's this there's heaps of different things we can talk about in terms of uh, the differences between ID and old earth creationism and evolution there's one thing we could talk about we yeah. could talk about the theology of Genesis how do we interpret that I uh, could talk about is natural theology even worthwhile um, we could talk about science yeah. and atheism It'd be good to to start moving into that direction. I just noticed one more one more question on yep. uh, mechanism, and and then we'll start moving into the theological implications. Mm -hmm. um, what is the mechanism by which an organism gains a system or a new feature like a heart, brain, digestive system? Is there is there a mechanism that's known, or or how does that work? Yes, I, I'm not an expert on, on animal evolution. So, but basically this is um, increasing specialization of a subset of cells within a multicellular organism. And it's not going to be like, oh, uh, you know, an animal wakes up and has a new brain the, the next day. Mm, Obviously, yeah, these things in evolutionary theory are a gradual and happen at the population level over uh, many thousands of generations. There's, there's, there's small changes. Um, but we do see we do see new stuff happening in evolution. So even in my the very small laboratory experiments I was working with, you see a duplication of a gene. So you see a new copy of a gene 
that appears just in a, a few, a couple of hundred generations. And this happens all the time. You see chromosomes get copied and then they change. Um, you see, yeah, you, you see new stuff happening in, in evolution uh, all the time. And the, the, the question is, uh, is, the, is the sum of these changes enough to account for evolution? And I think basically it is, uh, given some provisos. I mean, I think, um, I don't think this process was in, unintended. I don't think it was just random. Uh, that there's a separate question, which which we can go into maybe. Mm. But the the general question of can the <clears throat> mechanisms that we see account for the diversity in life? Yes, because there's nothing that I see in the diversity of life that uh, uh, necessitates some other kind of explanation, as far as I can see. Um, we see at the the small level, we see changes in chromosome number, we see changes in gene number, uh, we see all kinds of mutations. Uh, so I, I haven't seen the cutoff point, basically, uh, which, which is what I wanted to see if I was to reject evolution. I think um, I would be interested to see what you think. I mean, in terms of, I think a lot of Christians are not um, are not necessarily impressed by changes on that micro level. I think mm -hmm. when you look at, you know, like you're saying, how many hundreds or thousands of generations can occur in a very short period of time with bacteria. Uh, and viruses you know we've seen with covid um but when you start getting on to um the you know, higher animals sort of mammals and, and things like that you're talking about um you know if you look at the the how how long a, a whale can live or a shark can live or a turtle can live you know you're getting onto decades in some cases hundreds of years and so for um for changes to occur uh, you, you require a lot more time at that level, um, mm -hmm. so I can see why it, se it seems implausible. I think it's so easy to accept that that changes happen on the micro level, but it's less difficult to conceive of how those very small changes can result in such big differences. Um, you know, in the variety in the variety of different mammalian um, you know animals that, that exist and. Um, how we how we ended up with with human beings the amount of time involved is is vast i mean and that's why i often hear from young earth creationists as well all, all evolution evolution is really saying is that you know given enough time anything can happen and i think i think that's it's a very simple way of understanding it but i think that's often how it comes across is that if we just if we just have enough time um we, you know, you get you get human beings or, 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 or organisms like us. Um, I'll be interested in, in in your thoughts. Yeah, so it, it's I'd say it's more uh, quantified than that. So we can see we can quantify uh, the 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 level of change that we see in a small space of time, and we can say, well, let's and then we can say, okay, the Earth from from complete independent uh, measures is this this age. So we say, okay, we can extrapolate this this space of this this amount of evolution over a given time. And then that, that does account for, uh, say, the differences we see between a mouse and a rat. We can we can we can work out from the fossils roughly, you know, at least to within an order of, of magnitude or whatever. Uh, we can um, relatively straightforwardly work out um, the amount of time that we have for some of these changes. And um, I, I haven't seen, um, at, at least at the, kind of the, the, the rough level, the amount of genetic material that has to change, uh, I think it adds up, basically. It, it, it matches the, 
what you'd expect if you just extrapolate the mutations we see in the small scale over the amount of time that geology tells us was available, then it basically matches the kind of changes we see in the, at the genetic level between, between organisms. Um, so, so people may point to, I'm, I'm sure they'll point to some counterexamples, but I, I think we're, I, I don't think the counterexamples are, are massive. We, we don't see things that are wildly out of, out of kilter. Um, so some biologists, I think it was JBS Haldane or one of the early biologists said, someone asked him, what would it take to disprove evolution? He said, oh, it's easy, um, a rabbit in the Precambrian. Uh, so if you see a modern complex mammal in, in, in the space, we only see very simple organisms. And then that would, that would, in his view, disprove evolution. And that's the kind of thing we don't see. I don't think we see these. Um, I think we see things basically at the kind of time and place that we would expect from um, an evolutionary unfolding of life. Cool. Um, so I'm just guessing that you mean, would that be seen in the, in the layers of things? Uh, is that yeah. what you're Okay. So yeah. we're, I mean, I'm very well aware we're not going to prove, disprove evolution tonight, and that's not really the, the purpose of tonight. I'd be interested in, in the sort of theological aspects of, yeah. of this. Um, so I'm going to sort of one very uh, often leveled view um, from popular young earth creation uh, speakers is that um, you're reading the bar when you come to the Bible, if you've got, if you're trying to harmonize evolution and the Bible, yeah. you're having to manipulate um, scripture from an atheistic perspective. So I guess before we get to the Bible, um, I'd be interested in just hearing your story. Like, how, how do you, is, is evolution atheistic? Let's, let's start with that. Is, is it an atheistic model that you're starting off with? Um, ha, have you had that question before? How, how do you respond to that? Yeah, I, I think it's, um, like I kind of hinted at before, it's really important, I think, to get the age of the earth thing. So personally, that's, that's how I would approach it first, is can we... Can we come to terms with an old earth? Can we fit, firstly, just can we fit an old earth in with scripture? Um, if we can't, then evolution is, is dead from a Christian perspective. Hmm. And if we can, then at least the door's open, right? Then we can, then we can talk about it. Um, but it's, I think it's impossible to, to uh, persuade or have a reasonable conversation with someone if these two things are kind of conflated together. Because then if you push back against one, then I think people just lean on the other like if you if you if you if you just push on the age of the earth, then people kind of they have a gut instinct against evolution, and that will be that will be pulling them back towards the young earth. And if you if you try and attack the evolution, and try and persuade them that evolution is real, but they don't, but they're convinced that the earth is young, then it's going to be impossible. Um, so that's why I think it's it's most helpful to, um, firstly, just okay, maybe something like old earth creationism of some kind is true. Uh, this was held by, you know, distinguished evangelicals like Charles Spurgeon, you, you might not expect, very conservative people. Um, Charles Spurgeon's sermons, for some reason, are found at the Answers in Genesis website, um, mm -hmm. which, which is which mm -hmm. is really strange, but he, he was some kind of old earth creationist, actually. Um, yeah. so, 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 so that's another thing that uh, people were old earthers before Darwin. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was saying some of the stuff a little bit before Darwin. Uh, mm -hmm. So evangelicals in, in the UK were largely old earth before Darwin. Um, so it's, it's uh, I think one of the main problems in discussing this is that these things still get conflated. Uh, not explicitly, but they're implicitly and, and they're driving a lot of the discussion, I think. 
Um, mm. Most of the theological questions actually are to do with the age of the earth. They're to do with, um, or implicitly to do with the age of the earth, like death before sin. Yeah. Uh, if you have fossils before you have Adam and Eve, then you have death before sin. Mm -hmm. um, and that's nothing to do with evolution per se, that old earth creationists have exactly the same, the same issue. So there's, there's not much theologically that's actually specifically to do with evolution. Um, so, so yeah. What, what, what's the role of God in the evolutionary process? Because, mm -hmm. um, obviously most evolutionary biologists do not posit God as mm -hmm. having any directive role in the process. Yeah. So they, they obviously, their, their, their presupposition is that the process functions without any external guidance. Yeah. Um, whereas, whereas you are a theist, Christian theist, and you accept mm -hmm. that, that I'm assuming God guided that process or had some involvement, I'm not sure, or just yeah. sat back and, you know, wound the clock and let it, let it, let it, let it, let it get to, to, to result in human beings. Yeah. So what, what exactly, um, you know, from your perspective, can, can evolution work without God or, or what, you know, what, what exactly is God's role from your perspective in, in the evolutionary process? Yeah, so the, the, there's, there's heaps of things to say there. But um, so one thing is that I, I don't take a standard theistic evolution view, uh, but I, I could still defend that view. I, I think it's still, I can see why people might take it. But I was, when I was exploring these things as, a, as an undergraduate, I was really repulsed by the uh, theistic evolution stuff I came across because it was really liber liberal theologically. Uh, it was, it was I would say it was just really sloppy theology. Um, it was, yeah, I, I just found it uh, off-putting coming from an evangelical context. And so that was one reason why I was kind of skeptical of evolution is that the theology I saw was uh, was was not where I was coming from. Uh, but since then, I, I found that actually there's, there's huge diversity on this um, theologically amongst, and there were early evangelicals and, and, and ever since there's been evangelicals who, who were open, at least open to evolution or even very actively uh, Darwinian. So, for instance, the authors of the, the fundamentals, the, the pamphlets from which we get the name, or the, the, the booklets from which we, we get the name fundamentalist, um, some of the authors of these fundamentals uh, booklets were actually pro-evolution. Um, <laughs> okay, remind me of your question. Sorry, I've... What's the purpose of God in evolution? Yeah, oh, so yeah sorry, how did, how does, how's God involved? Yeah, so, <laughs> so the standard theistic, uh, theistic evolution view um would be that would i mean there's differences on this but would be that god is not really detectably involved but you don't need to detect him scientifically to say that god is involved um so they would say it's the same way that god is involved in the weather for instance we can't make a design argument from the weather we, we, we can't say okay there was a thunderstorm on friday therefore god exists um and I think basically, you know, not many people try and do something like that. And so theistic evolutionists will say it was the same with biology, that these are natural processes, that God is sovereign over natural processes. So, uh, so God, yeah, so, so in the same way that God is, or in a similar way to which God is sovereign over natural law, he's also sovereign over the natural laws that are involved in evolution. Um, and, and that's fine. It's like a, a minimal position, I think, for a theist to, to hold to. And, um, for someone like myself, who has a high view of God's sovereignty, so someone maybe more on the reformed side of things, uh, that's that's maybe going to be particularly appealing. Uh, there's different ways for for other theological schools to to do that, but 
if you think that God really is um, sovereign over all the little things of, of, of life, then he's also going to know the evolutionary outcomes before they occur. And, and he doesn't have to be sitting back and just watching it because he's upholding the universe every second. Yeah. Um, so then there's not a distinction between. So um, I'm, not, I'm not so comfortable with that because it doesn't draw any distinction between providence and creation. Uh, and I would think maybe there is a, there is a distinction there. I think God is doing something different in creation than he's doing in his providential upholding of the universe. Um, hmm. So, yeah, so how is God involved in, on my view? Uh, he's involved in setting up the specifics of the evolutionary process, at least. I would say the evolutionary process is fine-tuned uh, in, in similar way to which physics is fine-tuned. Uh, maybe he's involved at some other points as well, like the origin of life or the Cayman explosion or the origin of humans. Uh, theologically, I would say that. Um, scientifically, I'm not sure if I have evidence for, that's kind of an open question scientifically whether we can say something about the evidence for uh, maybe something beyond normal evolutionary processes at certain points but um, the point that I would argue is an apologetic from the science is that it looks to me like evolution needs to be fine-tuned to work and that seems to fit with theism better than it fits with naturalism Hi there this is Phil Dunkarf. Thank you so much for listening to the Critical Witness podcast. If you like what you hear, please do uh, subscribe, share the episode, and write a review. It will help others find us. And if you really like what you hear and want us to grow, please do consider supporting us through patreon.com forward slash critical witness. Enjoy the rest of the show. I think there's something that I've come come across in the, the sort of very shallow dive I've done into the into this, but the the Cambrian explosion, for example, seems mm-hmm. like there's not many solid naturalistic answers for why such a time happened, like with with these uh, more complex life forms coming out at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not a very good explanation for that. Um, so it's it is interesting to me that that's occurred, that there's not very good explanations on naturalism. Well, that would imply, or at least be, theism does give a good answer to that, as far as I understand it. They, yeah, I mean, so they, theistic evolutionists are going to be really wary about that because they don't want to okay. the gaps. Um, okay. And, and that's, that's the big risk when you say, oh, there's a hole in evolution. Okay, God must be active there. Of course, uh, so that's, yeah. That's why... Uh, that's why I take the different route, which is the fine-tuning approach. So insofar as evolution does work, even there, even when the most successful evolutionary explanations, I would say actually rely on basically a prior fine-tuning of the evolution. I I think, yeah, yeah, just just on that God of the Gaps point, I'm not sure Mm -hmm. that is, because I'd I'd agree that fine-tuning all across, but there seems to be a specific point where something (laughs) <laughs> something more may have happened I, i'm not sure maybe, maybe it is god of the gaps uh, and they're not um you know in terms of from the evolutionary perspective you not say that often evolution is guided by you know environmental pressures and so mm-hmm. you know given how long ago we don't know you know what sort of environmental pressures were present at that time to 
to bring about changes. I mean, what, what's the kind of, I, I guess, probably staying back your expertise, I, I don't know, the, the role of epigenetics in, in, in evolution and, and what, what, what role does that play in, in change? I think not a major role, but this is kind of one of the areas that's kind of being explored by the extended evolutionary synthesis. So that there are some some papers starting to come out about this, uh, but but personally, I guess I'm skeptical that that's playing a big role. But maybe that's just my bias because I'm really focused on the genetics. Uh, but to me, it, it it's not clear. Uh, there's at least a lot more work to do to show actual mechanisms here uh, that that could be involved in in. Um, major changes so I, I would think maybe it's a, a small kind of um there's some small feedback happening there through epigenetic mechanisms but i, I don't think it's it's going to be it's going to do a lot uh, in terms of evolutionary explanation because the the big driver of of biology i think is genetics so at some point the genes need to change because we see that genes are different between organisms and um i think it's going to be some kind of mutational process that's, that's going to be doing that Cool. So I'm going to go into some of the more theological conversations mm -hmm. on Genesis. Genesis 1 has been brought up. And yeah. uh, one, of the, one of the statements in the comments is uh, you can't have Genesis 1 as um, and evolution. Uh, they can't go together at all. And, and one of the, the follow up things is the translation of Yom, uh, which is the Hebrew for, for day. Um, so I'd be interested in again we're i'm not a hebrew scholar i've done some reading on this but um i'd be interested in, in how you've sort of harmonized genesis mm -hmm. one and as maybe go into a bit more detail the model that you the model that you hold to that would be interesting yeah um so again i would say this is this is not evolution this is i i really think evangelicals who are anti-evolution they're, they're playing on and if they use this in this kind of context they're playing on the gut reaction that other evangelicals have against evolution um because it, it, when i was growing up i, I experienced that and, I, and I, I saw people around me have that that when something about evolution came on the news or evolution came up there was kind of a uh like oh that's not a christian thing that's a bad thing um and there's still i think a widespread kind of christian feeling against evolution so if you label your opponent's uh perspective as evolutionary then that immediately kind of is poisoning the well basically um, so the, the question of the, the length of the days, there's nothing to do with evolution. That was something that people before Darwin had to deal with and it's something that we have to deal with uh, regardless of evolution. So I would just keep stressing that because I think otherwise people keep falling back into using evolution as kind of the, uh, to poison the well. Uh, my view, would, my preferred view is the analogical days view uh, that's um, advocated particularly by C. John Collins. And uh, this is the idea that um, the six days of creation are analogous to a Hebrew work week of, of six days. And I, I think there's, for me, this, some of the strongest reasons for, for thinking the six days are not literal is that the New Testament, I think, teaches that the seventh day was an ongoing day um, that continues uh, into up to the time of Jesus and the, the time of the New Testament authors. Um, and I, I didn't come prepared with the, with the verses, so I, I keep forgetting them, actually. I think it's Hebrews 4 and John 6. Maybe it's John 5. Um, that I think um, seem to teach that... So Hebrews 4 is about entering God's rest, and it's talking about the Sabbath. And 
uh, I think it's it's pretty clearly saying that that the rest that that God um, started at, at creation week that that is continuing until today, and that's the rest that we can enter into. Um, that's the first thing, and then the, the second thing is that Jesus, when talking about the Sabbath, um, he says. Um, He's basically saying that God's Sabbath has continued until today, and that that um, that this this part of the structure of his argument. I, I can't make sense of his argument apart from understanding that God's Sabbath continued until that time. Um, yeah, so that, that's just very briefly. So if it's true that the seventh day is a continuing day, I think that demolishes the young Earth case for uh, a literal seven days because the young Earth case relies a lot on. I think it's Deuteronomy twenty. I might be getting these verses completely messed up, but I think it's Deuteronomy 20, which is about the, the Sabbath. And um, for in six days, God God made um, the world basically and rested on the seventh. And, and Young Earth Creation has put a lot of weight on these verses. Um, but if the seventh day is, 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 is not a literal day, then I think that demolishes the insistence on the other days being a literal day. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, that's what I was going to point to. But there's so many problems with with that. Like you pointed out, the seventh day has no morning and evening. Um, right, uh, right. So we we see it in Genesis, and then we it's it's referred to in the Psalms, and then it's referred to in the in the New Testament. That I think the seventh day is clearly an, an ongoing yeah. day from the whole canon of Scripture. And then that, if that's the case, and uh, the the each of the days are somehow related to each other, even back in Deuteronomy, mm. I think it destroys the idea that the uh, I think Tertullian also said that the fact the sun is made on day four, um, three. but there three. were uh, day three, sorry. Is that? Three, I think. <laughs> I think it's three. Is it? I was just looking. I think it's four because, yeah, because there's, a, there's <laughs> a, again, there's a parallel between day one and day four. That's so right. in day one, God makes the light and day four, God makes the thing yeah, to fill right. the, there's the, there's yeah. the framework view, which I think is also, uh, important, but um, yeah. So Tertullian recognized in, in early, uh, I think even Philo maybe recognized something like this that um, we, we define a day as, in, to, in relation to the sun, um, and yet the the sun was created on day four. So what were the first three days that, that they weren't? We don't have reason to insist that they were literal days in our sense because days in our sense couldn't exist without a sun. Yeah. Um, yeah so together, those things I think just very very clearly. So increasingly, I see young Earth creationists don't actually focus on this issue at all. They they focus mm. on the idea of the the uh, suffering before the fall. That, that's the key. That's the key thing for them. I think they've basically quietly given up the at least on the scholarly side. I think they've kind of given up the insistence yeah. on the twenty four hour days. Yeah, the 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 the, the arguments for tw literal twenty four hour periods are extreme, uh, extremely implausible. Um, uh, from yeah, well, it's also that it starts with evening. Yeah. It starts with evening, and then there's morning, and that's the day. I mean, we don't count our days that way. Um, so I, I think this is an interesting point, though. Just uh, the um, just to point out the the connection with the seventh day with Jesus' cross on the sixth day, rested in the grave on the Sabbath, and then the first day of new creation. I think that's an important theme that I think is is very important to recognise. Um, so that, and there's just a few more comments regarding the literalness of the word day. And I think it's important to point out that we're not disagreeing with the literalness of the word day. Um, we're quite happy that yom means day. And I think that the model that you you said, um, C. John Collins, this it sounds very similar to what um, John Morton 
with this. I think it sounds similar. John, John just Walton. The, yeah. Okay, yeah, um, I haven't uh, really read his. I've heard his, his okay. stuff, but yeah. It sounds it sounds quite similar. I don't know if he's worked alongside C. John Collins on this, um, but the the fact is we're we're reading it literally in the sense that it's meant to be read. And and having read some of the young earth creationist stuff on on Genesis one, I mean the argument is that it's got to be literal history, otherwise it's lies. And I, I just find that a very wooden way to read literature of any sort. Um, yeah. And. and and so while it is truth and while it's God's inspired word and it's authoritative and it's all, all of that evangelical <laughs> stuff that we, we hold dear, I think to, to read it. So, um, like it's, unnaturally, it's, be it's an unnatural reading because no, no one in the ancient world well, very few, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't obviously read in that way. Um, mm. and I think Augustine is a, is a good person to look at a little bit, a little bit later. The way that he looked at, at Genesis, you know, there was no consensus on this. It wasn't a litmus test for mm. how seriously you took scripture. You know, it's something that arose very much in the 19th century uh, and and still ongoing today. And we can have competitions. I know people in the comments. Well, here's this scholar. Well, for every that you'll, it will just be there's no scholarly scholarly consensus on this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and for every scholar you name, I'll name two. Um, so it, it, there's there's no winning in terms of arguments from author, scholarly or authority because the, it, fr from you look at ancient Jewish scholars, you look at uh, early church fathers. There was always a broad uh, a broad view on this, uh, right. and and the dogmatism uh, that some Christians take, uh, the uh, the lack of charity uh, towards Christians right. who disagree is quite it's quite it's quite frustrating. Um, yeah. it's not a it's not a litmus test there is the gospel uh and uh whatever your views are on on genesis one uh are, are wholly irrelevant and, and if uh, it's frustrating <laughs> when people set up a sort of uh you know stumbling block before jesus yeah we're yeah, yeah. sorry there's my my ramblings yeah um, there's a few things i, I, I want to quickly say since this, this thing is, is brought up um firstly i, I personally I, I disagree with some of walton's stuff around his interpretation of he thinks that Genesis is all about function. It's not about material creation. So I, I would yeah. disagree with that. I think it is about material creation. And I, I really like uh, C. John Collins. Uh, and he argues well that um, his view of day is also a literal view. And there's a really nice debate actually between C. John Collins or Jack Collins and Albert Moeller. And I would say personally that Moeller basically gets destroyed in this debate. Um, <laughs> and and Moeller's a smart guy, but he, he was out of his depth on, on, on this topic. Um, so there's a as at some Baptist theological seminary, there was a people can can look up the debate on YouTube between uh, C. John Collins and Albert Moeller, and and Collins I think really nicely uh, shows uh, the the kind of things that we we briefly hinted at. Um, mm. Also, a, another thing to to highlight that um, John Lennox raises as well is that um, there's some precedents for this kind of discussion in history with regards to heliocentrism. Uh, so people used to think that the, the earth was the center of the universe, basically the sun went around it. And um, people defended this from the Bible. So even Martin Luther, it seems, uh, defended this strongly. They, he thought mm -hmm. you, you can't say, uh, so he, he was a uh, modern uh, equivalent to the young earth creationists on, on this issue. But he, he, he thought that you, you, from the scripture, you, you can't say um, that the, the earth goes around the sun. And now mm -hmm. everyone 
uh, apart from a tiny minority of young earth creationists, pretty much everyone says, no, that's fine. You've just got to read scripture uh, more carefully. And, and this is what most of the people at the time also said, that if the science shows it, then we're going to need to read scripture in a different way. And that's, that's okay. Um, mm. The There's another thing I wanted to say. And oh yeah, I think it's really interesting on this issue that some of the strongest uh, young earth creationists are Seventh-day Adventists. And th there's, a, there's a connection there, I think. I mean, one reason that, that uh, Seventh-day Adventists are young earth creationists is because uh, their prophetess, uh, Ellen White, said something about it. But I think there's also a deeper issue to do with the way they deal with the Sabbath. Uh, and and um, because they have this really, this, this really strict view of the Sabbath, uh, that this ties in with their insistence on the, the literalness of the seven days. And I, I think this is, um, this is true with some other Christians as well. It's a particular view of the Sabbath that actually ties in with, with, seventh, uh, with uh, young earth creationism um, that I, I think basically falls apart uh, when, uh, when you think that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath and the Sabbath is an ongoing day and, and it's, it's somehow symbolic of God's well, it's related to God's reign over the whole universe, God's rest since creation. Um, so yeah, for theology people to dig into, I think that's something to, to, to dig into. Why is it that Seventh-day Adventists are so strong on young earth creationism? Uh, and it, it's to do with the, the Sabbath. And I, I think it's a mistake that Seventh-day Adventists make that most Christians would recognize on, on that issue. I think it um, trickles over to young earth creationism as well. Interesting. Uh, one of the things that frustrates sometimes is uh, Christian. I don't know if you agree. This sort of Christian interpretation of Genesis sometimes is we you start to focus it at this. It becomes so rooted in this uh, evolution, young earth creationist debate that you forget what's actually incredibly special about the early chapters of Genesis and the fact of what they're really saying. And, you know, the fact that they're um, you know as a cosmogony are um, you know polemical against other ancient Near Eastern cosmogonies like the Egyptians and, and Assyrians and, and Mesopotamians, etc. Um, the fact that I think, as far as I'm aware, it's the only, cos uh, only cosmogony that, that describes uh, you know, the, the, um, the creation of women. It mentions women, that, that God created males and females, that it usually mm. just involves males. You never hear women ever, talk ever talked about. Um, you know, there's a whole host of really interesting things. The fact that, um, you know, human beings made in God's image, that there is something special, unique about human beings um, that's missing from other ancient cosmogenies where it was the king, the, you know, yeah, the, the king who the, the king who had value, uh, but the, but, but, but other human beings did not, you know, um, and it's, it's, um, you know, we're, we're reaping the benefits of, 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 mm. of that tradition today. Um, and it's just, it can be frustrating. I think sometimes we're Christian, um, the emphasis is so often on, on this issue uh, and rather than not taking all these other amazing things out of those first early chapters of, of Genesis. Yeah. I think it's really important. <laughs> I just want to emphasize that. Yeah. I think, think recognizing the theology must start in Genesis one and go through. And so in that sense that there's, we totally agree, <laughs> I think it's all Christians, but I, I just don't see Genesis one. Uh, and this is, people can argue with me. I just don't see it. As an age issue, um, I think I think the age issue does throw up a lot more issues than it's worth arguing over. Um, and particularly when you get into like Genesis two, and trying to plant Genesis two into the middle of Genesis one, trying to figure out which day fits with which, 
it becomes really quite messy really quickly. I, 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 I can't quite harmonize it, and I'm quite happy to be open on it and continue digging. But it, it sounds like, as Dan was saying, that it's, it's polemical to the cultures of the day and engaging in, in the different ways of thinking, the different ways of exploring life as they saw it, and basically saying, well, here's your gods, <laughs> here's the firmament, here's the, uh, the thing you think is a god that's propping up the stars, here's the thing you think is a god that's going across the sky, here's the thing you think is a god that's all the that's holding all the animals in the sea. Well, you know what? Our god made them. <laughs> Our god made them, made them, put them into order, and and it's only through him that they have their being and their their function and order and life. Um, and I, I find that... Um, I, much better for my theology than trying to say that God, God made it in a, a specific um, scientific way, which, which sure he did, but it seems like this debate is going to go on forever. Um, yeah, and yeah. I, I think um, apologetically, it's, it's just super useful to, to, to see God as ordering the, the one who provides order to the cosmos. Um, mm. So the, for me, that there's two kind of big kind of natural theologies that are kind of hinted at, at scripture that there's uh, God is the basis of morality and God is the basis of cosmic order. And, and both of them are in Genesis, I think um, yeah. in, in Genesis one, that, that God's saying things are good. He, he's, yeah. he's the one who's deciding what's good and evil. That's, that's one of the main points in, in, um, in, in the early chapters of, of Genesis that he's, he's in charge of the moral realm and he's in charge of the physical realm. And that's the, the basis of um, well, theology and, and, and the reason we can do natural theology, that we can talk to, to non-believers is because they are also inhabit the same universe that we do. And, and God made the fact that it's orderly and he made their conscience uh, and he made them in, in his image as well. Yeah, so the, these, these are the, the core things of theology. And if, if you take away from Genesis, well, you know, the, the, the definition of, of, of Yom if, if that's your main point, I'd get you're missing out. Hmm. I think just on that point, just to kind of go a little bit further into what you were saying apologetically, um, Bread of Life, uh, who Rebecca has asked, has Zachary found that his embracing of evolution has helped his Christian witness in the scientific community? Have you found it easier to talk about Christianity? Uh, it's, it's not really about embracing evolution even because I mean, that, that makes it sound like mm. I, I love evolution and that's why <laughs> some Christians will go, oh, he, he loves evolution more than he loves the Bible. So it's, it's not about embracing evolution. It's just about not denying it. I mean, personally, I do embrace it because I, I do actually really love the stuff I study. Uh, but for, for the, the average Christian or scientist, it's, it's not about whether you embrace something. It's just about what do you, what do you focus on? Uh, what are you talking about? Um, and if you're talking about stuff that they think is nonsense, that's, that's not going to help. Um, and Augustine had, had a really nice quote about that that's, that's often used and is famous. It basically says that if non-believers hear us saying nonsense about the stuff that they know something about in science and, 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 and they hear us saying that that's tied to our concept of scripture, then they're obviously going to write off scripture. Um, and, and this is what we see happening, unfortunately, that non-believers are writing off scripture because Christians are saying silly things about science. Um, mm not just on the Genesis issue. I think Christians are saying some silly things about science and other issues as well. Uh, and that's, that's a really bad witness. And, and one of the key things that Christian scientists can do is educate the church on these things. 
uh, just mm-hmm. as Christians in other areas can educate the church in, in, in other areas. I think that's, um, that's, that's one thing that we can do. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Dan, you got another question. I was just scrolling the live chat, see if there's anything else. I was going to see, I mean, what, um, what are sort of scientists view, like non non theist scientist views of um, you know, do they kind of see an inconsistency? Are they kind of saying that um, do they would they understand you as saying that they they haven't fully understood the picture that actually you know they would understand the evolutionary process to work without any outside involvement? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, what sort of what sort of discussions do you have? What's their kind of view as someone who? I think for a lot of modern people, they would see. The terms evolution. I know you wouldn't necessarily try to say, but an evolutionary, uh, a theistic evolutionary biologist would be would sound a bit like an oxymoron. Yeah, I mean, they people know that there are a few Christians out there, so they know that someone like Francis Collins exists, who's one of the leading scientists in the world. Undoubtedly, he, he runs the the biggest scientific funding agency in the world. Um, you, you don't get there unless you're a very good scientist. And so th- they know that there are some of these people, but they think they kind of have their odd personal views and they're kind of inconsistent. Um, but most just don't know. They don't know Christians who are educated on these things. Um, that, that, that's one point. Uh, another point is that most scientists are not atheists. I, I'm pretty sure about that. Uh, mm. A lot of them are agnostics, but that's quite a different kettle of fish than, than a hardcore atheist. Uh, Especially nowadays, I think the tide is very much against the Richard Dawkins type. Mm. Uh, when, when the Richard Dawkins type says something in public, most scientists roll their eyes and say, not you again. Not this old, redundant, uh, antagonistic view. That, that, that's really not popular. So I, I think the tide of, of the, the new atheists has, 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 has gone out. And instead, people are kind of open to maybe something spiritual. They're agnostic. Um, they, they don't see the relevance of, of Christianity. Um, they, they don't think that there's a, they certainly don't think there's a possibility of a strong evidential case. They, they think that the evidence and theism is just two different things. Um, so I think there's, a, there's basically an opening now for natural theology um, if, it, if it's done well. Um, yeah. Was it, there's, was there yeah there's lots to say but. So I've just seen a comment there. There was something about um, uneducated sounded uh, something about, I, I don't know if that was us or, or Zachary mentioning something about, was that a young earth creationist sounding uneducated? I didn't hear that, but um, I think, I think I'll be interested to see with, with regarding young earth creationists. There's a lot, there are a lot of Christians who are young earth creationists because the Bible says as much. And ha- have you in your professional career seen a young earth creationist um published are they being published are they engaging in the scientific literature are they so, being so my for- out of it <laughs> or uh, are they what sorry being being sort of pushed out oh, oh, oh. yeah right right um they're basically usually not involved uh, even the ones who are the kind of token scientists uh they're not for the most part they're not even they're not actually trying to publish so, so I would say there is a widespread kind of persecution complex and a claim that there's a community hates us. There's a little bit of truth for that. They're not popular because they're saying stuff that people, in the same way that anyone who says stuff that people think is, is crazy, they're, they're not popular. But mm. if, if they did good science, 
my sense is that they could be published. So my former boss, uh, he used to be the head of the largest creationist organization in Europe, Vorten Wissen, uh, Word and Science, the, the German you know, creationist organization. Uh, my boss, a number of years ago, he was the head of that. He, he was publishing science fine. He said he's basically never had a problem, maybe once or twice had a problem trying to publish his, his work because uh, people knew his, his creationist views. Um, in, in America, I think it's different because things are a bit more polarized. In Europe, people really don't care that much so long as you do good science. Um, my boss changed his view, and now he has similar views to I do. Uh, he, he did a number of years ago. Um, but, yeah, so there are these people out there, uh, but they're rare, and for the most part, he, he was an exception. That was why he became quite prominent, because he was a significant uh, microbiologist who was publishing and, and, and was a young earth creationist, but they're increasingly rare, I think. And my sense is that most, so th there was kind of a, I think there was a number of them that were kind of converted to Christianity and or to young earth creationism in the seventies and eighties. And I, I think since then, the, I think it's taming off. I think it's on the decline. Uh, you, you don't see new young earth creation scientists. I, I think people will push back with examples, but most of these are people who were basically raised in it to be young earth creationist and they've just retained that view. You don't see significant converts to young earth creationism, which you did for a short time in the seventies and eighties. Um, and, and my view is that recent science like genetics has, has basically made it much harder uh, for biologists to, to take that kind of view. Yeah. I think when I'm, things I've heard from sort of young, young earth creationist scientists, they'll say that, when they try and publish ideas that would support young earth creationism, that's when they would they would mm -hmm. um, experience pushback. But actually, doing the day to day work of science, you know, wasn't it? I think yeah. the the guy who created involved in the creation of the of the uh, uh, magnetic resonance imaging MRI mm -hmm. was a young earth yeah. creationist. But the fact he was a young earth creationist is really incidental to the work that he was doing. It wasn't. Yeah. Mine's it played no role in 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 him. I'm sure his motivations as a Christian, but actually being a young Earth creationist didn't really play a part in in his scientific discoveries. And that tends to be, um, you know, what what, what I've seen. Um, yeah. So yeah. So, I think yeah, and, and in his case, I think there is some evidence that he was. I haven't looked into it, but people claim that he he lost the Nobel Prize basically because he was a creationist. I don't know if that in that case if it's true, but it's it's plausible that something like that would happen. Yeah, like I, I agree. I, I think there yeah. is probably a lot of prejudice against once yeah. someone finds out. Uh, but it's, it's the same. Yeah, but it's the same with any. If, if people hold a view that people think is crazy and, and dangerous, and especially in the states, it's seen as dangerous because you, they're pushing against teaching. So you're you're threatening kind of. Um, and in the states, actually, if if you're a creationist and you're involved in politics, you're threatening people's funding you, because funding for scientists comes from taxpayers. If, if uh, the education system becomes anti-evolutionary, then th that destroys um, our ability as scientists to do research. So this is why it becomes kind of a personal kind of um, emotive issue for scientists in, in the States because it is a real existential threat uh, to their, their, their livelihoods and their, their research program. Uh, in, in Europe, it's just kind of a strange, um, offshoot that, that some people have and it's, it's not as threatening in, in the same way so it's, it's treated a bit differently i think um yeah. I, think, I think it's really important to highlight that that funding is involved and, and that makes that makes for 
questionable science. <laughs> we're seeing that in, in other areas. I think we're seeing that. Right. In, well, yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, the young explanationists might jump on that and say, well, that, you know, that proves that evolution is just uh, a product of, you know, political Money. forces. But, but you, can, you can say that with, with anything. It goes both ways. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so an, another comment is, um, okay, maybe they're, they're having troubles publishing stuff in mainstream journals. If they're doing good science, they can publish it in their own journals. There are young earth creationist journals. And just personally, I'm just not very impressed with the science that I'm seeing in that area. Um, another thing is that there's, there's a, there are a few token scientists who are held up as the young earth creationist scientists. Mm -hmm. so people say, look, the scientists are one side, the scientists are the other side. Oh, it must be 50, 50, you know, yeah. science doesn't tell us, but th that's really not how it works. Um, the same mm -hmm. with all kinds of controversial issues in science. There's a handful of scientists who will be on, you know, they'll be anti-vaccine. They'll, they'll say global warming is another thing. They'll say smoking doesn't cause cancer. And historically, there's always been a few scientists who, who, who uh, you know, fight, they say lockdowns don't work at all. Um, there's always some who who will do that. And yeah, science um, is more about what does the weight of evidence say? And it's not just about, how, do you have a, you know, is there a token person with a PhD you can point to supporting mm. your position? Yeah, I, I mean, I, that is really interesting. I, I think, yeah, I, I agree that there seems to be a direct attack on on standard things that are accepted within scientific community. And I think one of the things when it comes to the age of the earth is generally things like uh, carbon dating is attacked and, and things that are generally accepted by a majority and they'll highlight where things have gone potentially wrong and and it seems to be smoothed over for the young earth creationist arguments to to make it compelling for the young earth creationists to say this is what's actually going on in the scientific community and then you when you hear someone who actually explains the carbon dating and, and the things that how you handle errors and how you handle things like that it actually seems legitimate but then you've got the question well are these young earth creation scientists representing the community that then don't seem to be a part of in in the sense that either it's through um confrontation as it might be in the states and they there might be some truth and, and potentially on I mean, someone in the comments has referenced someone who's lost their job about their intelligent design review uh or something along those lines um so it's it's whether are, are they able to represent the community that they're confronting and I, I don't know. It's interesting that you've got your boss was publishing, but has now changed his mind. So I, I just find all that fascinating, and I'd, I'd be interested to see if, yeah, if there's anything more to young earth creationist views if, if um, they went that took their route. I think a big driver of my impression and my experience talking to people is a big driver of young earth creationism is presuppositionalism, and that's kind of under the hood. Basically, okay. when you really dig into any expert young earth creationist who, who's assigned, I mean, this is going to be controversial. Maybe people will give one or two counterexamples again. But overwhelmingly, the people who are expert um, young earth creationist scientists, when you really press them, they're presuppositionists. Um, so just, just for those who aren't, aren't down with the lingo, uh, what yeah. was presuppositionist? So, so, so their epistemology, again, another big word, their, their <laughs> approach to knowledge is that you should start with scripture and scripture interprets science. And uh, 
science is kind of malleable and uncertain, but scripture is rock solid. And by scripture, they mean their interpretation of scripture, obviously. So, so mm. their young earth creationist interpretation is basically not up for debate. Uh, it doesn't matter what the evidence is. Uh, if they're really stuck, they might say, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but mm. otherwise, if there's any hint, anything that points towards it, they say, look, science, you know, proves my view. Uh, I see this again and again. With, with, or if either they'll say that, or they'll just be, be silent. Or if you really press them on a hard issue, they'll say, yeah, that, uh, that's a hard issue. Uh, but it, it's not, you know, the science is playing no role, evidentially, in, in, in their view. Um, and I think that's basically dishonest. If, if they're then presenting it as uh, the science is, is, is what's driving their view, when if you actually scratch them under the surface, they're a, young, they're a presuppositionalist. Um, and, and, and that's what's really driving the view because they're, they're, of course, if you're an expert, you're aware of the hard problems, but they, they never raise them in, in their talks and they present it very one-sidedly is, is, is commonly what happens. Um, oh, so the other thing I wanted to say is that uh, I think on any of these issues, a good thing for a layperson in the pews to do is say, what's the consensus of evangelical experts on this topic? And the consensus of evangelical geologists is not young earth creationism. The consensus of evangelical molecular geneticists is, is not anti-evolutionism. Um, the, the, the more people study in each of these areas, the more likely they're going to be uh, take the, you know, the, the evolutionary view. And young earth creationists, so that's just the bias of the education system. But I think it's really not because there's a, there's a bunch of people like my former boss, Segretiara, who's undoubtedly one of the most prominent former creationists in Europe, a bunch of other people I could name uh, who, who were, you know, committed young earth creationists and they changed their views. Uh, and you don't see the, the other, you don't see things happening, people going the other way. Yeah. That's, that's good. Um, so we, we've only got 10 minutes left and we've got one big question. Can, can, I, can I ask something yeah. quickly? Um, yeah, just in regards to the, to the fossil record, I know you said that it's not your, um, mm -hmm. you know, your specialization, but, but you would see it is odd that if, if young earth creationism were true, mm. like you said, you would expect to see mixing of these different, like you'd, you'd see evidence yeah. in the fossil record of where more modern animals or more modern uh, animal forms and, uh, and, and structures are mixed with things we consider to be older and more ancient and yet yeah. we don't see it so it's not it's just really odd because like you said the, the guy i can't remember who it was you said about seeing a rabbit with you know uh, we yeah. don't see humans near dinosaurs or yeah. or foxes uh with with old uh, um with in, in the cambrian explosion you don't you don't see that like there, there clearly is some sort of development going on okay. and yeah all right uh, Worst case scenario, you may say, okay, well, those changes happened over a very short period. Okay, perhaps, uh, but it, but it is, it, it, you, you literally, it, uh, any over, you do not see the pattern you would expect if uh, you know all life arose six thousand years ago. I mean, that is one of the things that just strikes me as, I mean, it just seems implausible. We, we, you don't see what you would expect to see fundamentally yeah. if, if, if that were the case. Um, and I, I don't know how the way there's you get around that. I'm, you know, I'm not I'm not an evangelist for either side because I, I read both sides. But it, 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 what we see in the fossil record doesn't match up, uh, and it does seem to support as, as what you're arguing for is is 
change over some period of time, whether it's billions of years or whatever. But we, you don't see what you expect from the young Earth, uh, young, young Earth creationist account. And I don't think the flood really helps you either. I don't. I, yeah. I, I have to be honest. I don't, I don't see how a flood would order things in a way that you would expect to see, given the um, you know the number the animal forms both in the sea and on and, and on land. You just you don't see it. it yeah, it's so, less so, complex to more complex generally. Yeah, so creationists have tried to explain that in terms of ecological zones, and and to some extent you can kind of imagine okay the stuff at the bottom that was because. Uh, maybe during the flood. Uh, so the stuff at the bottom is like you only see fish kind of near the bottom, say, and that that was because during the flood, uh, that's that's where the the, the fish were in, in these lower areas that were were lakes or seas or whatever. Uh, but it it is I think that's basically being kind of acknowledged that there's just the data is just way more subtle than that. It's not just these uh, ecological zones um, to account for, and it really does look like this kind of development. Um, and the other thing, just keep pushing what, what I said before, is that I think young earth creationists really benefit when they, and also atheists actually do something similar, when they show it's a dichotomy. Uh, it's either young earth creationism or it's it's this full-blown Darwinian evolution. They, they love the term Darwinian because mm -hmm. that also has kind of a gut. Christians tend not to like that. They think Darwin was bad. He was an, They think he was an atheist or something. He wasn't, but they think he was anti-Christian. Um, so, so young earth creationists will label the alternative as Darwinian evolution. Where actually, the first question is, well, is the Earth old? And that's got nothing to do with Darwinian evolution. People believed that before Darwin. People were forced to believe that. Evangelicals were uncomfortable with this, but they were like, we can't explain these the, the geological features we see with the global flood. And so, the mainstream evangelical geologists in the 1820s or 30s or whatever before Darwin, they, they had come to accept that there was an old Earth um based on based on the geology so so yeah we really shouldn't uh, conflate them together and i think rhetorically the young earth creationists kind of often get a lot of um uh get a lot of uh support uh, rhetorically by conflating uh the age of the earth issue with with the the question of the specific evolutionary mechanism and that, that's a, just a separate issue uh yeah i'm just wanting just looking at some of the comments responding to you know, we find marine fossils in every mountaintop in the world. But if you understand plate tectonics and volcanoes, it well started on the ground, you know, or below the ground. So it, it, it again, it's a presupposition that the Earth was flooded and fish ended up on mountain mountain ranges. Because given enough, uh, yeah, the time we, we, you know, we, we we've seen. Uh, you know, we see new islands forming volcanoes and and, and things uh, that what was on the ground under the sea becoming over over the sea. So you know, we have we have examples of that. So I'm not. Um, so I was just quickly running through Zachary. So I was just looking through some of the the comments quickly. Um, as, so as, as we catch up, the the question that we haven't touched on at all, uh, and we've only got five minutes before I have to start closing up uh, tonight. Um, just be interested, like, I haven't even touched on Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2. Um, I'd be interested... Well, you've got five do, minutes, do you, a, you want to start talking about that? Yeah, I'm tempted. Well, we, he said, he, we, we asked earlier, <laughs> I'd just be interested. You, you said you could touch on it uh, for for a few seconds. <laughs> I'd be interested, like, uh, what, what have you read so far on it? And uh, where, where are you on, on the, the question of Adam and Eve? Um, yeah, I mean... So it, uh, 
it seems, uh, so yeah, what, what do we mean by Adam and Eve, I guess? Um, so when we, when we say Adam and Eve, do we necessarily mean that they were the only two humans around at the time? That's one of the big questions. So is it possible mm -hmm. that Adam and Eve were representatives of a group of some sort? Um, and that um, from Genesis 1, uh, sure, I, I would say that. And there's an interesting ambiguity between Adam, man, Adam, and human. It's the same word. So, so there's actually some ambiguity. When's it talking about human? As I, I mean, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, obviously, but from what I read, uh, there's some ambiguity. When's it talking about humankind? And when's it talking about a specific man? And I, I think that that because of that, that that gives rise to some of the, the variation in the different models. Uh, and there's there's a range of models. But um, so so one possibility is that Adam and Eve were representatives of a group. Uh, that could have been at different time points. That could be a very recent thing, 10,000 years ago, the origin of farming, 20,000 years or something. Or it could be further back. It could be 200, 300,000 years ago, the origin of modern humans. Or it could be a million or more years ago, the origin of the human the, uh, hominids in, in general. Mm. So there's, there's different time spans. Yeah. And so there's different time spans. There's also different population sizes that we could talk about. I think the genetics basically rules out a single couple origin being recent, but it's possible that we had a single couple origin. So they were the only two humans around at all. If we go back further. So if we go back, the models say at least if we go back 500,000 years, then it's okay. So we could have maybe have a single couple 500,000 years ago. The, the other complexity is that you have Neanderthal and Denisovans uh, or Denisovans. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, which, um, are these other human-like creatures? At least Neanderthal, I think, very clearly are, are humans. I think Denis Denisovans as well, and they seem to go a bit further back in, in the fossil record. Um, so this is why some people uh, at say the Discovery Institute, which is the Intelligent Design Center, whole other topic we didn't even talk about. No, um, I didn't touch on it. Uh, they, they, some of these people prefer a really ancient origin uh, with a single origin, uh, ancient origins to humans with a single couple. And then they think the whole um, Homo uh, genus, I think, originated with, with a single couple back then with Homo erectus, something like two million years ago, as I understand. Um, mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's different theological reasons for some of this. One of the key things that's driving it actually is that for Catholics, for, for Roman Catholics, it's uh, the doctrine of a single couple is important. Um, right. So because that was said by someone authoritative at some time, so, Conservative Catholics hold that as, as really important. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of questions. What counts as human? Uh, what do we mean by yeah by human? So then, yeah, there's other models uh, like the genealogical Adam and Eve, but explaining that would take more time. Yeah, no, it's fine. I just want to, obviously, we, we haven't got that much time, but it's just interesting. I, I like that you've sort of mapped out a, a wide uh, variety of views. Um, I, I think that's where I'm at with it, to be honest, and, and I'm looking to try and get... Um, other people on who've looked at this in more detail, and maybe we can discuss a bit further. Okay, um, good to look just at another another thing. I'd, oops, yeah, go on. Just another thing I say really quickly um, that it doesn't mean that I lose sleep over it is because the the science has changed a lot actually recently in the last few years. Yeah. Uh, so the, so this, so I so if the atheist pushes me on this, I'm I'm comfortable because I'd say well actually the science isn't clear anyway. Mm -hmm. We keep yeah. finding new human fossils, which kind of messes up the tree a bit. Uh, it's basically a bit of a mess, whatever your view is. Um, and we're just, we're still working it out. Maybe we'll never know. 
because we don't know what it means to be human in a theological sense. That, mm. That's one of the key questions. And that's not a scientific question, but maybe the science can help us talk about that. But um, it, yeah, it depends what we think of as the image of God as well. Do we yeah. even think of that in terms of stuff that you could measure somehow through science? If you don't, then the science is actually kind of going to be irrelevant to how we map it up. Yeah. I think that's why I'm always trying to be so cautious is because um, about saying what is the Christian view of creation because it changes, interpretations change, uh, science changes. You know, as you get more information, only this week, well, a couple of weeks ago, we had what the Dragon Man uh, fossils <laughs> discovered in, in China. Um, it's very complex. Like there are clearly, you know, human-like fossils Um and I, I don't know. I'll ask. I'll ask. I'll ask Jesus when we meet one day, uh, because I, I, I don't know. And and I think we, you do have to be careful on both sides about having certainty or something that's actually largely unclear. And like you know, as new information comes in, we have to revise. That's how science works, isn't it? You revise, you know, your hypothesis on the basis of new information that's introduced, uh, or an alternative hypothesis, you know, um, and um, yeah, it's, yeah I, 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 I don't know. I don't think Genesis is talking about it. I think it's talking about the what, not the how. <laughs> I think if, if you think Genesis is explaining yeah. the how and the what, then you'll then I guess you'll you'll look at it very differently, won't you? And I just just super quickly, I, I think the, the text allows for some of this openness because there is this ambiguity between human and man in Adam. That is one of the key things. Uh, because mm. there's the question of where is Cain getting his wife from? Okay. And that the text doesn't answer that. That, you know, he goes on to build a city pretty quickly. Where are those people populating the city? Where are they from? That opens the possibility that there are other people. Yeah. 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 I mean, either way, there's kind of some openness. And there's the Nephilim, yeah. which is a whole other crazy thing happening. Well, Cain's um, also yeah. worried about others, other people killing him. So that there's there's something mm -hmm. yeah. um, there's something in that. So I, I think um, before we go down any other rabbit holes, uh, yeah, we'll have to have you on again, Zachary. This has been really interesting because we haven't <laughs> still quite a few things we haven't even uh, touched on yet. Um, but just just on a on note in the, the comments talking about Jesus taking Genesis literally with uh, Adam and, and we haven't even touched on like uh, death before sin uh, and, and before predation. We haven't, we haven't. So this is probably the first exploration of evolution we've actually had on this channel. So for those of you with all the all the questions and comments, that's fine. We'll have a conversation on this uh, again another time. Um, but just to say, uh, Jesus taking Genesis literally, well, the same the same issue who applies. <laughs> like we, we're taking it literally. We're, we're just doing the best we can with the text, and and Jesus taking it literally. I think it would have been odd if he started explaining evolution uh, to his audience. I think God incarnates into the creation and has context. Uh, brings about truth with the context that he's in and, and Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jew. Uh, I think it would have been very odd to start uh, presenting modern science 2000 years ago. That would have probably caused more confusion than his resurrection did. So I, I think we're, we're going to um, leave it on that. And uh, Zachary, before we go, uh, we, we always ask our guests this. Um, Resources, that's the question. What, what can we read or what would you recommend we listen to? Um, any good documentaries for those of us who are more visual? Um, what do you recommend? A couple of things and then, and then we'll, we'll close up. 
on the theology, I'm a big fan of C. John Collins. Um, if you want to debate, look at the debate between um, him and Albert Moller. He explains lots of things. There's quite a long debate. There's a bunch of material there. Um, on the science, uh, there's, uh, from a secular point of view, disc discussing some of the stuff I think is important, suggesting some kind of fine tuning. There's a guy called Andreas Wagner, who's a leading evolutionary biologist. Uh, there's also the, the Christian paleontologist, Simon Conway Morris. Um, at, who is at Cambridge. Uh, there's the, the Christian evolutionary biologist at Harvard, Martin Novak. Uh, these are all leading evolutionary biologists. Andres Wagner, I don't think he's a, he's a Christian, but they are they all pointing to some kind of similar things that there's some kind of need maybe for fine tuning or Novak has other ideas about how uh, God might be involved in the evolutionary process. Um, yeah, so there are, there are leading scientists in this area who are either Christian or who are saying things that are interesting and Christians shouldn't be scared of evolution. They shouldn't think it's, um, they should be happy to talk with their non-Christian friends about it. And uh, that's the, actually the main thing I'd wanna say is that don't give this ground to the atheists. This, this is not a point in favor of atheism. Um, this is not something Christians should be scared of. You shouldn't teach your kids implicitly to be scared of evolution. That's gonna destroy them when they come to learn about it in biology school, a biology class in high school. Um, you know, God, you know, Christians have been involved in science since the beginning. God made the universe and we can explore it and that's, that's fine. Awesome. Agreed. I think, I think, uh, very helpful, Zachary, loads of stuff that, uh, I still realizing how little I know about, uh, biology and science in general, but I've, I think I followed most of that <laughs> tonight as a reason I generally leave this conversation to other people. Um, Dan, any final comments? No, thank you. It's just been interesting. I guess uh, going to the next question, which you asked a bit in terms of, yeah, the, what we said about resources and stuff, because, um, I mean, what sort of should should Christians sort of um, read secular books about evolution? I think is there, is there a benefit to be gained on trying to understand the kind of mechanisms and, and processes of, of evolution? Uh, if they're into it, I mean, it's a niche, it's a niche topic and most people shouldn't waste their time on it, but probably <laughs> same with any other, I mean, like should Christians, you know, investigate the big bang in, in detail. I mean, if you want to do that, you're going to need the maths of relativity theory. If you want to investigate evolution in detail, you're going to need, you know, molecular genetics, um, or, or whatever area you want, you want to look into. Um, with, with, uh, we, we should, um, I think apologetics is helpfully moving past the, the idea where you have one smart dude who knows everything about everything. It, you, that's, that's not realistic. And it, it's, it's um, instead Christians should specialize in the, you know, given the circumstances and giftings and education. And um, there's a lot of hobbyist Christians who delve into evolution from an amateur view and, and they, they do a bad job of it, unfortunately, because they're, they're not well trained. Uh, it's better if people want to do that, uh, they should talk to the experts, they should take feedback. Um, and most Christians, it's enough to have a general perspective, a general view and focus on the, the main things like God created the universe. He, he's the reason why there's order and comprehensibility and why there's a moral sphere. And, and yeah, all, all these things are, are more important than the mechanisms of evolution. But if people want to specialize in it, then that's great. We need more people doing that as well. Thank you, Slamaran, in the comments uh, for moderating as well. Uh, appreciate that. Um, just a final comment from uh, I think we should read all the science. It's up to us how to interpret the data, and that's the best we can do. 
And if you're a Christian, uh, well, pray that the Holy Spirit helps you interpret the Bible and uh, stay true to Christ as you follow him. We'll end on that note. And uh, thanks again, all of you who've watched and uh, given comments and disagreed politely. Uh, that's That's been great. And um, hopefully we'll have another conversation on this topic soon. Just to let you know, uh, just before I do close, we've got Sam Chan on the channel next Thursday, Sam Chan has written a book called Evangelism in a Skeptical World. Um, it's my favorite book of whenever it was written, 2019, I think it was. Um, but he's done loads book. of stuff, done loads of stuff. Um, he's Australian, uh, Asian Australian guy, got lots of experience in talking about um, Christianity and make and showing that it's plausible and a, a good thing to believe in so we'll have a lot of uh, conversation with him next week join us then about the same time eight o'clock next thursday but uh once again thanks for watching and we'll see you all soon thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show if you like what you hear please do give us a subscribe on youtube or follow us on any of the social media out there and give us feedback get in touch let us know what you think if you really enjoyed the content and want to support it find us on patreon.com